Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 1. So what we had done last time, we, we took a little bit of diversion, talked about the resurrection because it was Easter. And then before that, when I taught, we had, we had, uh, we had spoken out of uh, verses 18 through 27. And then prior to that, we had addressed this whole thing of, of demons and, and, and dealing with that. And, and by the way, if, if you've not availed yourself of prayer for this, for that, uh, uh, and you'd like to, just send me a message and we'll get together and pray. If you're, if you're having a, um, you know, just, just trouble with things that, that might be demonic activity, let me know. And we'd be, be glad to get together and pray with you. Alright, Matthew chapter 9, reading from verse 1. Getting into the boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, paralytic, Get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, glorified God who had given such authority to men. This account in Romans chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, is also talked about in the Gospel according to Mark, and the Gospel according to Luke. So both of those Gospels reference the same account. And you see that Jesus sees this man, he sees this paralytic, and he turns to him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And it says, And the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, then replied to them, the scribes said to themselves, this same thing occurs in both other parallel accounts. Turn to, keep your finger there, but turn to Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, we'll just look at the Mark, Mark's account on this. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Remember, they said not a word. They were reasoning in their hearts. Now, to put this in context, this was early on in Jesus' ministry. The way we know the sequence of how things occurred in the life of Jesus is to read the Gospel according to Luke. In Luke chapter 3, Luke specifically says that he has recorded the Gospel events in chronological order. You say, well, why didn't the other Gospels record it that way? Because they didn't want to record it that way. Historical accounts being recorded in chronological order are important to us in our generation. That is not always important to people. They had certain messages they were trying to get across and they would focus upon those messages and choose that as their sequence.
But if you want to see the sequence of events of how it transpired in the life of Jesus, you follow the Gospel according to Luke, because Luke says specifically he has mapped it out, talking with eyewitnesses in chronological order. And you and I often do this this as well as we're telling a story. We focus in on a certain point of the story. So, for example, you might say, hey, at Sunday school class today, such and such happened. And then you might say, and in the church service, this and this happened. Well, you may have gone to the church service first and then Sunday school, but you were recounting the story, placing emphasis on something, and chronology is not always in our speech and what we talk about. So it's not unusual to record in this way, and especially in that generation. In fact, Luke was unusual to record historically. Now, the days of Jesus, Jesus' ministry was probably somewhere around three and a half years. But only about 70 days of that three and a half years are recorded. So Jesus did many other things that we have no record of during that three and a half years. People have gone through and tried to, to figure out which day was which and add up the days. And so only about 70 days have some record of event. In this portion, this was early on in his ministry, and, and, this, and the parallel account in Luke is actually in Luke chapter 5. But any time, and I'll give you a context of what's going on, why were the scribes, why were the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were sent, why were they not addressing this head on? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 5, because there, there actually is an important point here. In Luke chapter 5, um, verse... 17, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says, One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform miracles. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring bring him in, and to set him before him, but not finding a way. And then it, then it goes on, and uh, um, look down in verse 21. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began reasoning, all right, saying, Who is this man who blasphemes? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered. So again, the same thing. They said not a word. They were reasoning. But who was there? It says that... Who had come to Galilee? Because remember in 9, chapter 1, it says that, not, uh, uh, Matthew 9, verse 1, it says that he returned to his own town. So now, coming into this Galilee region, where Pharisees and religious leaders, from every village of Galilee, from Judea, and from Jerusalem. So there were a bunch of religious leaders who came to observe Jesus. And that's because... When there was a testimony that maybe a Messiah had come, the first thing they were to do was to go out and observe. They weren't to ask a question. They were to make no comments. They were just to observe. And this we see in historical accounts that are written from that day. What was prescribed for the religious leaders to do. They were to go and observe but not say anything. Then they take this message back And it is, we have observed, and it is significant. What they were to assess, is this a significant event taking place through this man? Are these significant events that may speak of the Messiah? If so, then they were to go back, and then reasoning and questions began. But at this point, there were no questions. Jesus just knew that they were reasoning in their hearts. 
Jesus knows everything that we're thinking. Everything that we think about, He knows. You know, sometimes I've spoken to godly men, and I feel like they know what I'm thinking even before I say it, because they answer directly the things that I was thinking about. Jesus does this. God knows the reasonings of our heart. He knows what we're thinking. And it says that when He saw this, so going back to Matthew chapter 9, when he saw this and he realized that all these people were reasoning and saying that, boy, he must be blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? Matthew chapter 9. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus answers them. And he says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And when he, get, when he got up, and he got up and he went home. And the people were amazed. It is, if I, could, I could stand here and say, from now on, everybody in this room, every, every sin that you ever commit won't count against you. You'll be just fine. You can go ahead and commit sin. Won't bother you. Won't. And it's very hard to assess this. But if somebody's crippled and you say, get up and walk, you know, you, you have the evidence right there. So Jesus says, in order to show you that I have ability to forgive sins, let me just do this. And he healed the man who was a paralytic. And, they were, and, and amazement came. And you will see from this event, events begin to change. Because after this event, what happens is, then the Pharisees go back, they report what happens, and then the questions start coming. And they start firing questions at Jesus. And you'll see the common pattern is this. They do not appreciate the way Jesus does not observe their own laws. So what happened in Israel, you had the scriptural law, the law of Moses, but then you also had what was called the Mishnaic law. Around every law of Moses, the 613 commandments of Moses, they built several Mishnaic laws, sometimes over 1,000, like around the Sabbath. And Jesus would never observe those Mishnaic rules. And to this day, those are the same laws that they observe. He would never obey those rules. And they figured if the Messiah comes, he must want to obey the rules of the rabbis. He never did. But he perfectly obeyed every one of the rules of the 613 commandments. A Jew today cannot observe all the 613 commandments because more than half of them revolve around temple worship. And since there is no temple, and there is no sacrificial system around the temple, there's a bunch of them they couldn't observe. But what, what the scriptures also make clear is that if, if a Jew fails in one of those commandments, he's guilty of them all. It is really tough to live under the law. And I thank God that we don't have to, that Jesus fulfilled the law. Now let's look in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9. And Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew, sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating? with tax collectors and sinners. 
But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a parallel account to this in Mark chapter 2. Same account. And this is indeed Matthew's home. Matthew, the guy who wrote this Bible, this, this, uh, this chapter, this, this gospel, is recording his own conversion experience. He was a tax collector. If there was anyone who was considered unsavable, it was the tax collector. Because the tax collector worked for the Roman government, but he was a Jew. Because he knew how much Mr. Cohen made and how much taxes to extract from Mr. Cohen. Because if there's one thing that Jews know, they know how much money the other Jew makes. That's just something we're good at. Alright? This is something that we know about. My kids are always wanting to get from me my salary. Always this is, and, and this is very normal in a Jewish home. This is, this is what happens. But this is why they got Jews to be the tax collectors. But the Jews were allowed to extort money for themselves. The tax collectors always extorted more from the, uh, a portion for themselves. And they were allowed to do this. And I don't remember what the portion was, but it was quite significant. It was something around 20%. In addition to what they had to give to the Roman government, they could extort for themselves. So these guys were really quite wealthy. And he looks at him sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he says, Matthew, follow me. Now Jesus had given, you will see the same word that he gives, follow me, to others that end up not following him. Not everybody took him up on this. But Matthew did. And Matthew ended up having the zeal that many new believers have. You know, many new believers have zeal that, <clears throat> that us older believers have to take hold of. Many, excuse me, <clears throat> many new believers have to take hold of this same sort of zeal. M- many older believers have to take sort of hold of the, ze- the zeal that new believers have. And what he did is he invited all his friends. If you look in the, in the Mark account, it's very specific that they came into the home of Matthew, who was also called Levi. When Jesus is sitting in the home and there's all these tax collectors and sinners coming, these are all Matthew's friends. He's inviting all the guys he knew. And this is good. New believers should be drawing in their old friends and inviting them in. Interestingly, it says that Jesus, that that sitting with Jesus, were also his disciples were sitting with Jesus. It says in verse 10, and with Jesus and his disciples. So with Jesus were his disciples. This is a good sign. What does this mean? It means that when you get saved and you want to share with your old friends about Jesus and you want to sit and converse with them, it's not a bad idea to have other believers with you. Because unbelievers can often pull you down from your walk if you go this road alone. So for example, some unbelievers will say, well, I want to go back. Oh, thank you so much. I want to go back to the bar and and, and share with my old friends. And there's nothing illegal about the bar for Christians. There really isn't. 
but it's good to bring another Christian brother or a Christian sister alongside of you when you go do that. Because they will help to protect you. You will respond differently when you have other believers along your side. And Jesus did this sort of thing, always surrounded by disciples. Now, there were occasions where Jesus was alone. Like with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He happened to be alone sitting at the well when the woman walked up. And he didn't say, well, I can't talk to you because none of my disciples are here with me. He began to talk with her. But when you go and you start sharing with your old friends, which I encourage you to do, keep doing it, and you invite them in, have other believers around you. Jesus did. And Jesus made a point of reaching out to the tax collectors and the sinners. And Matthew, these are all the friends he had. Remember, he hadn't been a disciple very long. He just received the Lord. And so who's he going to invite to this party? He's got his tax collector friends, his sinner friends, and he invites them in. And this is a good thing to do. You know, very often we think, oh, you, you know, these, these people are going to feel really uncomfortable being, being around Christians. Well, let them feel uncomfortable a little bit. Let them hear the gospel message. Let them sweat a little bit. This is good for them. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's happened to all of us. And Jesus goes and starts sharing with them. And they, they say, you know, if he was really a spiritual guy, he'd know what kind of sinners these people are. And he says to them, he says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, or mercy and not sacrifice. This is what the Lord will constantly bring you back to. As believers, we get into this realm of, I need to discipline my life, and get up and pray and do this and do that and go to church and all of these are good things. But Jesus keeps bringing us back to this. In all of these good things, don't forget the mercy of God. Don't forget the compassion of God. When somebody starts preaching so hard the disciplines of Christ without, without remembering the compassion of God, that when we reach out, we reach out in a hand of compassion. And Christianity historically has shown a lot of compassion. Shown a lot of hardship too, but it's shown a lot of compassion. And remember, compassion will, will, will win out over sacrifice any time. When someone's hurting. You know, there was an incident even in the Old Testament. When Aaron's sons offered up strange fire in the temple. And God struck their sons dead. Aaron's son's dead for offering up this strange fire in the temple, in the tabernacle. Then Moses got on Aaron's case that same night and said, why didn't you go and light the fire in the temple like you were supposed to? And Aaron turns to Moses and says, I just lost two sons today. And that was enough. Moses then understood even though Aaron was specifically to do a certain duty every night, he said, how can I do this? I just lost two sons today. And God well understood. Compassion is what Christ will constantly be drawing us back to. And there is this tendency that as we we move out in this zeal for the Lord and in discipline for the Lord to squash other people down around us, I have this tendency 
And God continually draws us back to this point. Remember to show compassion and mercy on those who are hurting. Remember to show compassion and mercy. And as you have this life of discipline, which is good, just don't forget the compassion and the mercy and what other people might be going through. And this is what Jesus brings them back to. He says to the Pharisees, look, would you relax a little bit? You've got all this religion and these people have come and they're listening to me. Just back off and show some compassion. Show some mercy. mercy. And this is what He brings us back to. Verse 14. Questions about fasting. Then the disciples of John came to Him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? This is very common. When we fast, we often wonder, why don't other people fast and go through what I'm going through? Even John's disciples got together. You know, this is quite an alliance. John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees getting together. So the two of them, the two groups are commiserating that they fast. And the disciples of Jesus are not fasting. This is what fasting does. Fasting makes, makes you really full of yourself. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew, chapter five, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men that they are fasting. This is Matthew six sixteen. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you... When you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who, is, who sees in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your reward for fasting will come from God. It is a good thing to fast. Jesus assumes you're fasting. He says, when you fast, there are periods that you fast. And I've told you before, I don't enjoy fasting. It is very difficult for me. And some people say, I don't have much trouble fasting. Well, you and I are different. We are just different because it just tears me up to fast. But I do it. And I do it as a regular practice. Several times a year, I'll go on at least a five-day fast. And you don't know it. I just, I'm miserable inside. But there's something that happens in my spirit. And it's not unusual for me to get an email from a student that says, you know, I've been fasting and I think other students should too. Could you preach on fasting? So they want me to do their dirty work. This is very normal. Alright? And this is what you see. The disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees, very concerned that the disciples of Jesus aren't fasting. The Pharisees would fast twice a week. And I forget which days they were, but they were, they were two days a week they would fast. And Jesus actually makes reference to that. There, there is a reference to that in the Scriptures. In, in fact, when the, remember the Pharisee, you know, the sinner is beating his breast saying, God have mercy of me, a sinner. And the Pharisee is, is saying, I fast twice a week. Well, that was the normal Pharisaic way. He would fast twice a week. Fair, uh, fasting is not wrong. But making a big deal out of it is being a Pharisee. So this issue of fasting comes up, and here's Jesus' reply in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. 
Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. So what Jesus says is he gives this little parable. He says, you know, if, if you put unshrunk cloth and you mix it with shrunken cloth, when you wash that, they'll pull away. If you put new wine into old wineskins because of the osmotic pressure, this is, that's what this is all about, it's going to burst. Alright? And this is, Jesus is describing this. He says something new is happening. Something new is going on. What I love about the Gospel is that you can have the same message and package it differently. And if you don't learn how to package it differently, your ministry will die. Jesus said, look, you've got your fasting prescriptions, things are going to change. Right now they're not fasting, but when I go, they'll fast. And you see in the book of Acts, several times the disciples were fasting. But you've got to allow your ministry to change with the dynamic of life. I was recently asked to be on the board of a certain ministry. And I went into that boardroom, and, and the reason they asked me is they thought that I knew how to relate to young people. And, and the way I relate to the young people is I tell them what they ought to do. <laughs> and I'm right. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry. You just listen to me and you'll be all right. But I sat in this boardroom, and I knew that, that there, was gonna, there were going to be some problems because everybody was old. Everybody in that boardroom was older than me. And this is a wonderful, wonderful ministry. But they were beginning to lose touch with people. They still, they still sell their ministry material on tapes. You know, tapes. Just in the last six months did they get some on CD. You know, we're talking about a ministry that's very near death if, if this is happening. This is, they're, they're in a coma right now. You have to learn to change things. And you will see with older ministries, and I've, I've seen other ministries before too. I was, I was invited to this ministry overseas once. And there was, they, had, they were having this youth conference. 5,000 youths in this Indian youth conference were coming to hear me speak. They invited me to come in and speak. The day before I left for India, they sent me a sheet of what they wanted me to speak on. It wasn't just, we'd like you to speak on such and such a topic. It was, these are the topics we want you to speak on. These are the verses we want you to use. And I was like, why don't you just tie my hands behind my back, tie my feet, and put a choker around my neck? Just put a little machine to move my mouth. I got in this room with these guys, very godly men but there was not one of them less than 60 years old. This was a youth conference. And they were losing touch with people. They said, we used to have 15,000 assembling for these meetings. Now we've only got 5,000. And I felt like saying, I'm amazed you have more than five. 
in India there's a lot of people. You know, lots of people come. But the restrictions there and never allowing the ministry to move. And I would listen to their stories. Well, this is the way we used to do it. When did you do this? In the 1940s, this is what we would do. We would stand on the back of the, the cart and we would open the Bible and begin to preach. One guy would play a guitar, people would look and we would preach. And that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but the dynamic of life begins to change. And Jesus is saying, you can't take your old stuff and fit it into my ministry. It's going to have to change. You've got to begin to change the way you do things. You know this ad that I put in the paper, Body Piercing Saved My Life, right? There are some Christian professors on campus that got on my case. You know, you're mixing these terms of the world, body piercing it. Lighten up. I mean, I'm relating not to professors. I mean, professors aren't supposed to read the thresher anyway. I don't read the thresher. I don't. It's just a, 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 you know, a cellulose rag. I don't read that thing. (laughs) But this is... Anybody here work for the thresher? (laughs) Anyway, that's my opinion of it. I did read it once, and I, I, I formulated that opinion, so I've never read it since. But anyway, it's not made for professors. It's a student newspaper. It relates to students. This is where students are. And so, you know, body piercing saved my life. And so, you know, people get their bodies pierced, and so it might draw somebody in. But this is their attitude. That, oh no, what do you want me to do? Well, I like the way I do it wrong better than the way you don't do it at all. How's that? God does things differently. And compared to the scriptures, you like that, Tiffany? Okay. (laughs) Compared to the way uh, Paul preached, what I do is nothing. Let let me show you what what Paul did. Look look in... um, Look in Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17. I mean, Paul was amazing. The way he would go into an area and figure out what was going on and use things of that generation, of that generation of people and of that region of people to witness. In Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, Paul, in in this point, is in Athens is in Athens. And now Paul, while he was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. I mean, this is wonderful. I mean, here is Paul the Apostle, and he's seeing all these idols being carried around, and wherever you look, there's idols, and his spirit is being provoked within him. He's like, let me at him. I mean, and this is what happens. When you get excited about God, you see things and your spirit within you gets provoked. And you think, I've got to share Jesus with these people. And if your spirit within you has never been provoked, ask God to work on your heart because your heart is probably stone cold. Ask God to work on your heart to let your spirit be provoked within you that you'd be burning inside to share. Verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others seemed to be 
others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the uh, Arapagus, saying, May we know what the new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Alright, so this is the scene. What is Paul preaching? It says in verse 18, the end of it, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. The message is the same. We preach Jesus, the resurrection. We preach judgment coming. We preach the sin of man and salvation through Christ. This is what we preach. The message remains the same. But the package needs to be different. You say, well, what, what do you mean the package is different? Look how Paul packages this for this, these people. Verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said... Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious in all respects. For a while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar, and with this inscription on it, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Do you realize what Paul did? Here's all these, these statues up on the, 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 these, uh, these altars on these little pedestal altars. And there's one that has no statue on it, just, just the altar. And there's a little inscription that says, To an unknown God. You see that one? Let me tell you about that unknown God. I mean, you talk about mixing things of the world with the message of Jesus? Body piercing saved my life is nothing compared to what Paul did. You know, this is, wasn't in the Bible. We would say that was really bad. Paul never should have done that. I mean, Paul did it. I mean, he's the man. He did it. Look what he did. He packaged this thing for those people of that generation. And this is not wrong to do. So as I sat with this board of directors, I talked to them about digitizing things and putting it on the web so that they could people could download it into their iPods. Three people on the board out of five that were sitting there looked at me and said, what is an iPod? And one of the guys kept referring to this as a a tripod. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. This tripod idea, this is a great idea. Now this is how bad it's gotten out there. It's really rough out there in the world. When I get out there, I've got to come back here to be with sane people again. This is my haven. And so I told them about tripods. <laughs> what you have to do with tripods. People carry these tripods around their neck. <laughs> they talked about, you know, free downloads. Just, just free. And people could, 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 could get... You know, you know these, these podcasts, just r- right on down. So they wake up in the morning, you know. said, look, young people don't always have time in the morning. They want to wake up and pray and read their Bible. But, you know, the reality is they don't always. So if they could just grab their iPod and stick it in their ear and on the way to class have a 10-minute great Bible teaching. Because this is a great Bible teacher that they're asking me to be on this board. I mean a great Bible teacher. The best Bible teacher, I think, that, that, that I ever listened to. But... I said, just, just give it to free. 
podcast right in their ear. So within 10 minutes, they're getting just this tremendous meat. Oh, this is a great idea. You've got to just package it differently. It's not wrong. It's good. And, he, and, and they think that young people today don't like expository teaching. Expository teaching is where you just take the Word of God and you go verse by verse and you just work through it. So they love it. They love it. It is just that they want to see how it relates to their life. So once you finish your expository teaching, say, now this is how it relates to your life. Oh, okay, now I get it. That's all I want. Because it's a generation where things come very quickly. You know, the, the, the typical Nike commercial. I say to my kid, what was that? What was that? Dad, that's Nike. Oh, yeah, that was Nike. I didn't even know what they were talking about. But that's the generation. It's just, it's just this different mode of learning. It's very quick. You just fire it at them, and, and then, then, then you're out of there. It's like this terrorist comes in the night. Boom. They're out. But, but you get this information. This is what you have to do with young people. And they loved it. And, and there's hope for that ministry because they're willing to pick this up. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. It was packaged differently. The message is the same. The message never changes because the heart of man is desperately sick and everybody needs salvation and there's only one way and that's in Jesus Christ and in Him only. And sin infects our hearts terribly. And there is only one way out of it and that's Jesus Christ who has died in our place and risen from the dead. What did He preach? The resurrection. The resurrection. And after he got done talking to these stoics, he started to speak with them about the resurrection. And when they heard the resurrection, they scoffed at him. It says, look in, in Acts chapter 17. Uh, in, in fact, let, let, me, let me show you one, one other incident of this. He, he says in, verse, in Acts chapter 17, um, verse 27 that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we, are also, for we also are His children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature... And he goes on. Look what he does. He quotes one of the Athenian poets who says, We also are children of God. He quotes that poet, puts it in the Bible, an Athenian heathen poet. He takes his line, you know, let's say he's taking something from, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, the Beatles, and sticking it in the Bible. That's what he did. He used that quote as a springboard for his gospel message. You see what he did? It's okay to do that sort of thing. It's okay to do that. As long as you put it, you don't forget the message. And then he goes on uh, uh, in verse 31. Verse 30. Verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to, to men that all people everywhere should repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Look what he did. He hit the points of repentance, of judgment, of raising from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, and others said, We shall hear, again, hear you again concerning this. 
So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed. And that will be the truth of our gospel message. Some will sneer. Some will say, well, I'll come back again and hear another time. But some will believe. We can package it differently, but that's the message. You can't put old wine, you can't put new wine in the old wineskins. You can't mix cloths. Jesus said, we got something new here. We're packaging it a bit differently, but the message remains the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of the message, that that remains the same. It was the same 2,000 years ago. It is the same now. How we need to repent of our sins because we are stinking sinners. And how if we don't, there will be a judgment day. And you have furnished proof by raising a man from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for that message. Father, I pray for these young people that you would continue to give them creativity as they function in ministry, that they would have a burning heart, that their spirits within them would be provoked within them, lest their hearts grow cold. And Father, I pray that they would fall on their knees and cry out to you that their spirits would be provoked so that they would preach the gospel, but also package it properly. And in the midst and their zeal of preaching the gospel, that they would never forget to show mercy and compassion, because that rules over sacrifice. Father, I look to you for your grace and your mercy on these young people. In the name of Jesus, amen.